Uh, And today, we are thinking about what the Bible teaches about the Sabbath. So we're going to read a story from the end of Mark 2 and the beginning of Mark 3, a couple little uh, stories where Jesus interacted with people uh, around the Sabbath. So let's pray before we read scripture, shall we? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have uh, left this witness for us, the witness of the apostles, uh, all that they saw and heard uh, you say and do, their testimony that they saw you resurrected from the dead, that they spoke with you, uh, that these aren't fabrications, but they are claims of history. Uh, So God, we thank you for that. Help us in our minds and spirits as we engage what you have taught us and help us understand what you want us to understand. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So it's Mark chapter two, starting at verse uh, 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So before I came to uh, Michigan, many of you know this story. I served a church in Iowa, Meredith Drive Reformed Church. was there for eight years in the thriving metropolis of Des Moines, Iowa. Come on, Jennifer Vandermullen. Woohoo! Come on. <laughs> and um, uh, while there, a good friend of the congregation named Willis uh, and I uh, got to talking about his business one time. He was a quite an established builder. He built residential homes for people. And he was working on a project with a really big garage. And, and he said to me, yeah, they want this big Dutch drain. And I said, they want a what? It's like, yeah, they want a Dutch drain. And I said, what, what's that? So it's a, it's a drain in the garage. And I said, I just call that a drain in the garage. Why do you call it a Dutch drain? And he said, well, in our our part of the world here, the first people to request that were the Dutch people because they wanted a drain in their garage so they could wash their car on Sunday without their neighbors knowing. 
you know, I didn't grow up in the church and I came to this whole Reformed church gig later in life. That's when I knew I had come into something really, really weird. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> Uh, and not, not too long ago, a newer friend of mine said to me, you know, sometimes I feel guilty when I rake leaves on Sunday afternoon. Should, should I feel that way? Am I doing the right thing? Is that okay? Am I, am I doing something wrong? Is God displeased with me because I'm raking leaves on Sunday and thus not doing something that he's told us to do? You know, the Dutch drain thing is just kind of funny and ridiculous. That, that other question is very real. Because it hits right here. Like, who, what, am I, what am I supposed to do? And what, what am I supposed to think about all this? So what is the Sabbath? Is Sunday the Sabbath day for Christians? I mean, how, how are we to think about this? What are we to do? How do we observe this? What's, what's the deal? So we're just going to look at the Bible today and think about that. What should we believe and how should we maybe practice this? And my goal is that we all leave with a very clear biblical understanding of the scripture's teaching on Sabbath, Sunday, and rest. So the grace of rest is the, is the sermon title. So the Sabbath. You know, our scripture starts with this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. That's how the story began. So the Sabbath, what is it? It is described in the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Here's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Holy just means set apart for special purpose, right? So the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, which according to our calendars is Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath day. The first day of the week is Sunday. The last day of the week is Saturday. So Sabbath is, uh, is actually Saturday in terms of the day of the week. The Sabbath began in Jewish understanding at sundown on Friday, Because if you didn't know this, this was the Hebrew understanding of a day. The day began the instant the sun set. When you couldn't see the sun anymore, a new day began. Thus, uh, it kind of coincides with the story of creation in Genesis. If you read that, very interestingly, if you haven't noticed this before, the days of creation always say, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. The Hebrew day starts with evening. And uh, there's a lot to be learned from that, right? We begin our day in, in a biblical way with rest, with sleep. Have you ever thought about giving yourself over to sleep? You know, when you lay down and go to sleep, we rarely think about it. We're just tired and laying down. But you, you, you are releasing control completely when you sleep. You ever thought about that? You can't watch over yourself when you're sleeping. You're entrusting yourself when you sleep. And the Hebrew concept of a day began with that. It began with rest and a giving of yourself over to God and God uh, pouring uh, strength and and health and renewal into you. So there was evening and there was morning 
the first day. So the Sabbath was from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And according to the fourth commandment, it was to be a day of rest. And the why behind this, of course, is stated in the fourth commandment because God rested from his work. There's this kind of uh, argument that makes a lot of sense. You know, if it's good enough for God, you know, who are we to think we could do something better? The day was to both mean and symbolize something different than every other day of the week. Right? That's, that's what set apart means, holy and set apart. It was a day to draw us back to God. Really, all of the rest of the, of the week were days committed to that mandate given us uh, prior to the fall in the book of Genesis to, to fill and subdue the earth, to be caretakers of the world, to be fruitful and multiply. You know, the work to which God assigned us. But on the Sabbath day, we were to behave as if all our work was done. No more work. You know, as if the to-do list is completed and you never needed another to-do list ever. To, to act as if all your work is done. Listen to how one rabbi describes it. The meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. Six days a week we live under the tyranny of things of space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. It's a day on which we're called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. And over, over the years, uh, the rabbis in Judaism developed all sorts of guidelines to help uh, Jewish folks observe the Sabbath, obey the fourth commandment, to ensure that you didn't accidentally somehow violate the fourth commandment. And uh, honestly, these, these extra rules reached the point of just being flat out silly. Uh, I mean, human nature at its best. There were 39 categories of work that was prohibited on the Sabbath. One of the categories was the category of extinguishing. A person was not to do any extinguishing on the Sabbath day, which meant, as specified by the rabbis, if your house caught on fire and no one was inside it, you were not allowed to put out the fire. Even if you, were, you would suffer significant financial loss because of the fire, that was work and you were to let it burn. On the flip side, if the fire threatened human life, then you were under a mandate from God to put out that fire immediately. In fact, the rabbis took pains in all of these 39 categories to say, yeah, we wrote all these rules, but if human life is ever threatened, bag the rules, bag all the commandments, actually, go save life right now. That's why Jesus' question in the second passage that we read today is so important. Remember what he said, what's lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? See, they all knew the teachings of, of the rabbis, right? They all knew these stipulations that said, hey, if, if it comes to saving life, you know, bag all these rules, go save life. Clearly, God's all about life, so save life. And Jesus' question wasn't even, you know, is it lawful on the Sabbath to to save life or to allow life to end? That wasn't his question. It was, 
which is lawful to save life or to kill. And they all remained silent. Thus Jesus' anger, deep distress at their hardness of heart, their seething anger because they know that he knows that they know what they're supposed to do. And it's this pride thing going on, right? Now with this background, like all these rules and everything, you might be thinking to yourself, well, it's, you know, it's no surprise that you know, Judaism to Christianity, Jesus shows up, we just inherit some of these rules, bring them right over, Sabbath keeping just gets transferred to Christians after Jesus. But let, let's think about that for a moment because there's some very interesting stuff here. If you're not familiar with the term the Lord's Day, it refers to today, Sunday. And Christians were the first to coin that term. Sunday became the Lord's Day because Sunday was the day of Jesus' resurrection. And this is why the early church took the dramatic and incredibly countercultural move of shifting the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. Just think of it, right? Something huge happens in our life together, and we say, okay, everybody, Sunday's no longer the day. We're worshiping on Monday, the first day of the week. And we all say, well, I, but I've got a job. That's a, that's a work day. Huh? That's what happened in the early church. The day of worship changed. This is huge. Unheard of. Sunday is the Lord's day. And there was a, a huge change, right? Now, some of us, not, not so much me because I didn't grow up in the church, but some of us have either grown up in a Sunday as Sabbath kind of culture or we've heard stories of this thing, right? And uh, of some of the crazy rules that maybe were applied to some of us. And not that we didn't experience some good from this. I'm not saying that, but... Uh, author Walter Brueggemann catches it really well. He writes this. We more or less know that the, uh, that the day, meaning the Sabbath day, Sunday, came to reflect in U.S. culture the most stringent disciplinary faith of the Puritans, which in recent time translated into a moralistic prescription for a day of quiet restraint and prohibition. In many somewhat pietistic homes, that amounted to not playing cards or seeing films on Sunday and certainly not shopping on, on Sunday. And if you grew up in the church, you might have your own list of stuff that you couldn't do on Sunday um, to, to add to that. Now, the very, very interesting thing is that the early church did not look at Sunday as the Sabbath day. They didn't do that. The apostles and the early church did not see the equivalence between the two. Saturday was still the Sabbath day. The Lord's day was something completely different. And in fact, the shocking statement for the day, there is no evidence in the Bible whatsoever that suggests we as followers of Jesus should consider Sunday our Sabbath day. And I'm not saying that just to be shocking for the sake of that. It's really not there. If you read the Bible, it is not there. Um, 
if you read the Bible seeking an answer to this question, how should Christians obey and honor the fourth commandment? Because we should. Right? You come up with some likewise interesting things. In short, the New Testament reinterprets Sabbath entirely. Did you know this? It reinterprets Sabbath entirely from a day to a reality we now possess in Jesus. That's a big deal. Please take that home. It's biblical. Read Hebrews chapter 4. I'm not just saying that. Really do it. Go home and read Hebrews chapter 4. If if you haven't done that for a while or if you have never done that, read that chapter. It talks all about this. So it's, it's much like Uh, It's really the same reasoning that Christians no longer celebrate the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. You know, there were guidelines for the celebrating of a Day of Atonement. But we as Christians don't do that anymore because we don't need a day to symbolize the atonement that would come at some point in the future because we now have the reality. Jesus has come and he has made atonement. So we possess the reality, not just the symbol of the reality. The the exact same is true of Sabbath. We possess the reality of rest in God through what Jesus has done for us. We we don't need the, the symbol alone because we have something greater. This is along the lines of one of the many ways uh, that Jesus fulfills the law. Remember he said this? I haven't come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it to make it whole and complete and real among you. I mean, this is a very practical way that that Jesus did that. So, like, like our understanding of atonement has advanced in Jesus, our understanding of Sabbath or rest has also advanced with with Jesus. Uh, So, the Bible clearly transforms the meaning of Sabbath keeping for Christ followers. The, The Sabbath keeping now demanded of us as people who really want to follow Jesus, is to stop relying upon our own efforts to make ourselves right with God. Because we just default to that. It's so easy to slip into, what I got to do this and this and this to make God happy. And we live our lives, we certainly want to please the Lord, but so often uh, the human mathematical calculation in our heads is I should do this so that I'm right with God. And the the tyranny of that is endless. Because when do you know when you've done enough to finally make God happy with you? Right? And that's what this is getting at. We have rest in Christ. We no longer need to to, to strive and, and work to earn God's favor or approval. Our own Heidelberg Catechism gets at this. Question and answer number 103. Look at this. What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? We've got resources for this stuff, right? A, answer, first, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained and that especially on the festive day of rest, notice the catechism intentionally does not use the word Sabbath, on the festive day of rest, really whatever day that might be for the Christian, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings to the poor. And second, 
that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath, the eternal rest that we've been given in Christ. We're invited to participate in that now, right? I don't think it's a stretch to say this. According to the Heidelberg Catechism, there are two parts to Sabbath keeping for Christians. First, don't fail to get together with other Christians corporately to worship and to pray and to learn and to give. And second, invest every day of your life in resisting evil and entering the fullness of God's rest that he's given you in Christ. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Now, I, I certainly do not have the faith entirely figured out. But from the best of my understanding at this point in my life, this is what the Bible teaches with regard to Sabbath keeping for Christians. So again, if you've been living by other kind of rules or laws, it's not that those are bad. Let's just realize that a lot of that is kind of human-made stuff. And it's not to say there isn't great benefit in some of that stuff, right? Because we live in a striving, fast-paced culture and without a doubt, to honor the spirit and value of the fourth commandment, we need to live counterculturally and figure out how to rest, right? Again, it was good enough for God. Who are we to think that we can kind of keep going seven days a week without planned, intentional seasons of rest and, and, and renewal. But again, for the follower of Jesus, this is invitation, right? Not, not legal rule keeping. It's an invitation to enter and fully possess the land of rest we've been given in Jesus. That's the thing. I mean, it moves from dutiful obligation of spiritual uh, uh, rules uh, to ongoing invitation to delight in the deliverance that we've been given. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said this. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Right? From the beginning, the Sabbath was meant to be our servant, not a master. It was made for people. Always existed for people. In the Old Testament, Sabbath was a shadow of the promise of the forever rest to be accomplished in Jesus. And now that spiritual reality has come to us. We no longer need the shadow. Jesus fulfilled this. Now, some of you raised on this Sunday as Sabbath thing are are surely thinking, hey, wait a second. Some of that was really good. Yes, indeed. But let's get the spirit right. Let's not think it was really good because we were ticking off the list of things that we're supposed to be to, so as to be presentable to God, to make ourselves right. Because that tendency is in your heart. I know it is because it's in my heart. And if we're thinking about Sunday or Sabbath or Sabbath keeping in that way, we miss the gospel. Because the gospel is 180 degrees from the checkbox thing, I've done all this stuff for God. The gospel says you can never make a list long enough. You can't do it all. Nobody can do it all. Except for Jesus, of course, 
who has done that for us, checked every box on God's master list completely and perfectly, and then given us the to-do list completely accomplished to say, hey, when you see the Lord, give him this. Right, completely free, the perfect righteousness of Christ given to us. So don't think wrongly about Sabbath. Don't think wrongly about any of the laws or commands in the Old Testament. These have been fulfilled for us in Christ. And we are free. Not free to run away from God again and be disobedient. Free to live in the fullness of God's love and grace. Free to be honest with one another about our shortcomings, free to confess our sins one to another and be healed, free to pray for each other that we might live in this grace that God has given us. And we're free. So practically speaking, what do we do with this? Um, Again, we live in this crazy world. You do, I do. There's restlessness everywhere. People are restless uh, we, we, maybe you and me at times, our culture certainly feels unfulfilled. We're chasing after something. We're not sure what it is. How do we as Christians live in this and demonstrate what rest really means? I, I heard this pattern and it was really helpful to me. Uh, somebody said, I, I, I do this Sabbath concept because we have the Sabbath concept now, right? Not the Sabbath rule. And the Sabbath concept is one that we should engage to figure out how to rest. And one of my friends said, this is what I do. I devote daily. I Sabbath weekly. I retreat monthly. And I abandon annually. And for him, this was a great pattern of programming into his life the concept of Sabbath, intentionally resting from our work, choosing places in life to behave as if all of our work is done. Because if you've never tried that, you need to. It's really, really hard to do. And that tells us we should do more of it. Right? If it's that hard, it's a bit like the workout theory, muscle confusion. If you come across an exercise that's really difficult to do, it probably means that your muscles in that particular area are extraordinarily weak and you should do more of that exercise. I think our, uh, our, our muscles around ceasing are extraordinarily weak. And really, we could probably follow Jesus better if we worked those out a little bit more. Against invitation, not rule. So, this was helpful to me. Devote daily, be in scripture, Sabbath weekly. Have some segment of time every week where you stop. Just Stop. Retreat monthly. Have some larger chunk of time at least once a month where you can get away and rest and renew. That's the one I'm not doing too well right now. Abandon annually. For my friend, that was at least a two-week vacation. He found that when he was just away for a week, that didn't work so good. He needed two weeks. So whatever that is for you, to, to have that kind of experience where you are fully unplugged and actually are refreshed. It's kind of the point of it. So again, Sabbath keeping, not as rule keeping obligation, but intentional rhythm of rest. 
so as to experience the grace of rest that God has given us. Right? It's for freedom that Jesus has set us free. Why, why are we slaves to our to-do list? Right? We don't need to be. So as, as we look to the summer, as your pastor, let me speak grace over you. Be free of guilt. Be free of guilt around any Sabbath-keeping rule that might be stuck in your head or your heart. The Lord loves you. The Lord wants you to be free. The Lord desires deep rest for you. So, what should we do? We should worship the Lord together. We should pray together. We should come together to seek the Lord. We should give generously. We should resist evil. Identify those slices of weakness in our, in our life and confess. There shouldn't be anything in your life that at least one other person doesn't know about. If there is, secrecy is your master. You don't have to live like that anymore. And we should resist evil. And we should seek God so as to enter the rest that God desires for us. So be free. (laughs) Enjoy the love and grace of our Lord and the rest of Christ, which is something that we presently possess if we're in Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? God, indeed, we bless you for all of the good things that you've given us in Jesus. And thank you for your grace, God. Thank you that you're patient with us. Sometimes we look at ourselves and uh, at least I look at myself and think, why are you patient with me? I'm sometimes disgusted by what I see, God. But help, help us to see ourselves through your eyes and, and not our own. Help us to see ourselves as uh, objects worthy of your love, not because we say so, but because you have said so on the cross. If we weren't worth it, you wouldn't have done that. God, pour out your spirit on us and help us. Help us grow in you. Help us seek you. Help us rest in you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.